So this is pillar number five this morning in our pillar series. We have six pillars upon which Neighbors Church is being built. Word and spirit, word and spirit, prayer and faith, family and hospitality. And so this morning we're going to be talking about family. And here we are entering into the holiday season. It's Thanksgiving. And that means that for a lot of us, we're getting excited This is a time for especially you kids where you get to go back home and you get to be with your families and brothers and sisters and be with mom and dad and it's warm and it's cozy and the turkey is tasty and delicious and the gravy's just right. We're we're like really excited about our family time that's coming up. For some of us, family time and holiday times can be excruciatingly lonely, terribly, terribly painful. Maybe there's been family estrangement. There's been division in the family. There's been fights. And so the idea of going and being with family actually feels more stressful than it does feel delightful. For a lot of families, holidays are terribly painful. We spent all day yesterday tending to a widow friend of ours who lost her husband eight years ago. And so we spent our Sabbath with dear Ollie because she's a widow. And when it comes to family time and holiday times, Ollie doesn't have Dan anymore. She's alone. And so for some, family time is this time of anticipation and expectation. For others, it's a time of reminder of strife and pain. For others, it's a reminder of loss. For most of us, it's generally a mix of all those types of things because family is this incredible cocktail of emotions and relationships and trauma and support and burdens and blessings. And family is the most integral and the most powerful community of all human communities that we exist in. Familial relationships, they are the most interwoven. We can't escape them due to our proximity to each other as we grow up with one another as siblings, parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles. These relationships are so tightly interwoven because of the time that we spend together, basically from 1 to 18, maybe 20, 20, 20, some people 25, 35. You're living in home with your parents. You're intertwined with these people. And even our biology Our biology intertwines us deeply one unto another as family members. Brain science, of which much is being discovered about the nature of how family and genetic and epigenetic activity forms us and shapes us, brain science and spiritual teachers throughout history, whether it be Christianity or any other subset of spiritual teaching, these disciplines, they highlight that indeed The apple does not fall far from the tree in our family systems and our own personal identity formation. So some of us this morning, we're hoping to actually be like our parents. That's what we're striving to do. Others of us are begging God that we don't become our parents. Some of us are just in a mix of all that. The fact is, you this morning have been formed by the family from which you came. And the most potent factor in our identity is our genetics and our family histories. Consciously and unconsciously, you are who you are right now because of the family that you came from and the blood that runs through your veins. There is absolutely nothing that compares to the influence and the power that family has in the human experience. So in Genesis chapter 1, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Two big ideas that we want to highlight this morning from this text on the nature of family. First of all, you and I, we are, as my spiritual director and therapist calls it, we are relational souls. We are relational souls. And we are relational souls because God himself is actually a family of relational love. The unique hallmark of Christian orthodoxy that differentiates Christianity from all other religions, from all other spiritual sets of teachings and gurus, is the Trinity. This mysterious paradox that God exists as three persons who are separate and distinct one from another, and yet one in essence. God himself is a community of love. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father and Spirit and Son, they coexist in a perfect, loving, familial relationship. And here in Genesis, we humans are called image bearers. We are the imago Dei. That means, essentially, that we were designed by God to be reflectors of God into the world as image bearers, whether believers or unbelievers. Whether we hold to biblical teaching or do not, the fact is we have been created to reflect this familial, relational nature of God into the world. And so we were designed. There's no denying this. We have been designed to love other humans and be loved by other humans as an expression of who God is. That's why whether you're a Christian or not, Love pervades the family system. Love is at the epicenter and the foundation of father, mother, son, daughter, auntie, uncle, brother. On and on and on it goes. Love is what intertwines us together because all humans have been designed to love other humans and be loved by humans as this expression of who God is. And to deny that reality, that core reality, that is actually to deny a core component of being human. When we begin to diminish what God has designed us to do, that is love other humans and be loved by humans, we are actually diminishing the nature of humanness. We are diminishing what we've been designed to do. And so embracing family, the good and the bad and the beautiful, that moves us forward in experiencing more fully what the human experience is supposed to be. Now second, from our text, the fundamental building blocks of society in the biblical narrative are a man and a woman who become one, multiply, and subdue the earth. I, I want to read this again because I want us to have this seed planted in our hearts and be thinking this way as we go on our journeys through life. The fundamental building block of society, as the biblical narrative tells the story, the fundamental building block is a man and a woman who become one in covenant unity, in covenant marriage, and they multiply and subdue the earth. They go forth and cultivate what God has given to them. So multiplying family throughout creation is core to what you and I were made to do. This sounds silly. This sounds, can sound in our ears somewhat shallow and even crass. But we were made to make more of us in the world through babies, through children, through this multiplication of families throughout all of creation. And to ignore, to ignore that, 
to deny the original creation mandate of a man and a woman in marriage, covenant union, multiplying through children, that actually goes against the grain of being human and it goes against the very grain of the universe. Because God from the very beginning said, to be human is to go and love humans and be loved by humans and then multiply those networks of loving relationships out into all of creation as you cultivate and create. Now, we're on a college campus. Most of you in this room actually are single and young. You're not married yet. Does this mandate diminish singleness? Absolutely not. Jesus of Nazareth, our God and Savior, was single. <laughs> Paul the Apostle, the founder of the New Testament church, we are here because of him. He was single. Is it a higher status of Christianity and a higher status of obedience to be married and have children? Absolutely not. In fact, over the past few generations, I think in the Western church, there's become an idolatrous worship if, if I could just get to the state of marriage, if I could just have kids, then I would arrive. Then I would be uh, enjoying my life. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's not the case at all. I love, I love my wife. I love my kids. But my kids cost a ton of money. <laughs> Do you know how rich I would be without them? Okay, I'm getting off track here. Singles. While we talk about family this morning... You have families, you come from families, and you actually contribute to your family system as a single. Singles are formed by families, by our families, and you singles, you play an essential role in forming the other members of your families. You form your mom and dad. You're forming your brothers and sisters. You help shape. As singles, you're part of these systems. Now, as singles, you're not the primary source of multiplying. That takes man and woman, covenant union, to go forth and multiply. But you are still part of the relational systems upon which God wants to build. You are still part of the fundamental building blocks of society. You are still part of the, the, the obedient people who go forth to cultivate and create culture. So the ideal in Genesis is a community of humans. This is a wordy little thought here. It's a community of humans who are multiplying family throughout the earth. This is the ideal. This is what's lifted up in Genesis 1 and 2. These family systems, they are reflections of God, who is a loving family in and of himself. And as these families grow, they cultivate the endless possibilities within creation. These families go forth and they see the latent possibility within the grounds, within the, within the birds, within the seas, within the air. And they cultivate this by building societies harvesting the grounds, producing goods, ordering disorder, beautifying the ugly, and creating culture. And all it's going to take is this Thanksgiving, as we're sitting around the table eating our turkey, and somebody has a meltdown about the choice of stuffing. As soon as that begins to happen, we are reminded that this original ideal, this cultural mandate, it's failing. It's failing. Humanity is a gigantic, dysfunctional family. That may be the, the, the most understated statement I've ever made. Humanity is a gigantic, dysfunctional family, not rightly reflecting the loving union and relational nature of our Father. Not rightly cultivating and creating. Not rightly building society. Sin, that old archaic Biblical word that's so important. Sin, our rebellion against our true father. Sin has broken 
family in all of humanity. When our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, when they chose to redefine their relationship with God, that redefined everything else in all of creation, and it deformed family. Satan, that talking snake in Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve's own rebellion, the deceptions of this liar and sin's effects have literally fractured the human family, fissured all of the human family. And so all of us in this room this morning, we've all been touched at some point by the pain of family fights, strife, Some of us have been touched by estrangement, abandonment. Some of us have been touched by abuse, divorce. And so just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we as a society, collectively, we we rather than breaking under the fissures and breaking under this and surrendering to God and his definitions, instead, we continue to redefine what God defines as healthy family according to our own ideas, and the fractures continue to increase, and the pain multiplies, and society, instead of being built and cultivated, begins to disintegrate. For the first time in recorded human history, this is so important, especially for you millennials and Gen Z kids, for the first time, our culture actually values the individual above the community. This is unprecedented. We are, as a society, we are radically autonomous and we are aggressively individualistic as Westerners. We are tighten up the belt, tighten up the bootstraps, do-it-ourselves type people because we value the individual above community. The highest good, we are told by our society, is not to align ourselves with our grandparents and parents and their antiquated, outdated ideas. The highest good, we are told, is to chart our own course forward, to rebel against that which was before us, to find our own way, and to be true to ourselves, to not be defined by our old man, by dad, so to speak. Now, this sounds noble on the surface, and there is great value in discovering who you are apart from your parents. A lot of you in this room are at that stage right now. You're discovering this is who I am apart from mom and dad. But you need to understand that this radical autonomy, this aggressive individualism, it is a new way of thinking about being human. It's a new way of, of thinking about who we are and how we know ourselves. And it is a massive departure from the historical norms of human sociology. Not only that, it is a massive departure from the Bible's vision for human interaction and understanding. I've been thinking about this quite extensively over these past months and approaching this teaching, and I think about this kind of stuff a lot. One of the questions that keeps being raised in my mind with the plague, the endemic plague of depression and anxiety, the rise in suicide, particularly in Gen Z. I I wonder, I'm curious, is it possible that this rise in these things, anxiety and depression and suicide in our society, I wonder if there's a direct corollary to our departure from deep dependence on each other as family, particularly in understanding our need for our family systems. In other words, we've been told that the individual is the most valuable, and in so doing, the individual finds themselves feeling utterly alone, without help, and uncertain about who we actually are and how we're supposed to go about life. And so anxiety rises, and depression rises, and we kill ourselves. So the big idea 
is that sin and Satan, even our own selves, our broken sinful selves, and the society around us, they are all working deeply against familial unity. All of these factors are working intentionally against humanity thinking of itself in family terms. A primary component of God's grand renewal project, of which we are all a part, is God is restoring humans into a family. Now, don't just think God is restoring the nuclear family, mom, dad, couple brothers, couple sisters. He is doing that. That is one of God's primary projects in renewing all of creation is to get mom and dad to stay together and to bring up children who are then going to bring up more children and then bring up more. That is a primary component, but it's not only the nuclear family that God is wanting to restore as he renews all of creation. God is wanting a family that is bound together by more than bloodline, more than ethnicity, more than affinity, more than politics, more than economics and class. The story arc of the Bible, when you start in Genesis and end at Revelation, is about God recreating a new family of humans who are relationally intertwined by the Holy Spirit and ultimately, as we learn in the New Testament, by the blood of Jesus himself. We are family, this new humanity, by the Father's adoption of us into his kingdom family. And so the church, this community right here in this room, Park Hill meeting over at Point Loma, the hundreds of churches that are meeting throughout all of San Diego, the millions of Christians that are gathering in spaces to do exactly what we're doing across the globe. The church is God's family renewal project for all of humanity. So we miss this as Christians, as American Christians in the West. We miss that this is a primary component of God's big renewal project because of our radical autonomy and our aggressive individualism. In fact, the aquarium that we swim in has actually put like a lens over the way which we see the Bible and read the Bible. And so we even now come to the Bible and we think of it in terms of myself, in terms of it in, in, in reference to the individual. When we do our devotions in the morning, we're looking and reading it through the lens of what does God have for me alone today? Let me read to you just a couple verses to give you an example of this. Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I've read it this way for so long. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians 1.6, one that we all hold on to. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When we come to verses like these, we usually find ourselves saying, Oh, so I am God's handiwork. I was created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Oh, he who began a good work in me, he's going to carry on the work that he's began in me to completion. Yes, let's go forth into the world. God's with me. God's going to do stuff through me. God's all about me. God's for me. All of that is true. The only problem is these verses and 95% of the New Testament verses that are like these are all in the plural. They are written to communities and they are to be read in light of communities. These verses are written and they are to be applied in a communal mind frame. They're to be believed as a community together. The language of the Bible is predominantly in the plural, not in the singular. The language of the Bible is in the plural. So when you read you, you need to read y'all. It's all of you. It's all of us together in this room right in this moment. Hear this. 
when we read Ephesians 2.10, and I'm finally coming to grips with this, I can't do the works of Ephesians 2.10 without you. That's how much you matter to me. Not because I'm a pastor and because I love the church. I literally selfishly am coming to realize without you, I can't be me and do what God has called me to do. It has to be read in the plural. When Paul says the work that he has begun in you, he's saying that to us in this room collectively. And the work that he wants to do in you individually will not come to completion until you actually think and frame up the work he's doing in you in reference to the person sitting next to you, in reference to the person walking alongside you, in reference to the church that you're committed to, in reference to the family that either blessed you or broke you. It's all this deep, intertangled, intertwined reality, and God is sorting through the mess, but we have to change this aggressive, individualistic way of thinking and reading the Bible because the New Testament is plural in its encouragements. And so the communities that are centered, churches like neighbors that are centered and built on the New Testament, we have to be plural in the way that we think about life. It's very difficult. This is a mental shift in the midst of a, a, a stream that is pushing us downstream so quickly in this radically autonomous and aggressively individualistic way of thinking. We have to see our Bibles, and right now this morning we have to see our lives through the lens of community as family on almost every front if we're actually going to be faithful to follow Jesus in the next season of the church. Finally, on this big idea, the more that we exist as a family the more clearly the church effectively points to what the future will be. I think this may be one of the greatest witnesses that we have in the world as society begins to, in my opinion, collapse and fracture and fissure and the political polarities increase and the fights and the debates and the wars increase. I think the church existing as a community that is a family is what will point forward more truly to what will come, what God is actually doing. John the prophet in Revelation chapter 5 said this, And they, speaking of the church, sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The church is God's grand reclamation project at work in the world. As we renewed children of God, as we exist together as a forerunner to what will be in full in the future. This is the previews, the churches, and all of our brokenness and messed upness. This is God's plan for the world, to show the world, here's what humanity will be like when I reign over all from heaven, and it comes to earth as it is. So, as we get ready to wrap this up, let's ask this question. If you right now and myself, if we are designed for family and we are shaped by family, how are we as a church, how is neighbors going to concretely live out this reality? And the answer is our neighbors' communities. Neighbors' communities. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to start slow rolling out through the holiday season. We're going to slow roll out all of our neighbors' communities. And as long as God allows us to exist as a church family, Lord willing, for generations, I pray, I pray that Neighbors is a generational church, that my great-great-great-grandkids are part of a church that Neighbors had influence in. As long as God allows us to exist, 
you're going to hear almost every week, get into a community, get into a community, get into a community. It's that intentional push against the radical autonomy and individualism that we Christians swim in. These Sunday gatherings are so important, and they're absolutely wonderful, but this is three hours out of our Sunday morning. It's such a tiny snippet of our apprenticeship to Jesus. The rest of it is spent, you guys spend it in study settings, in work settings, and to grow, to understand who you are and the mission you've been called to with other people, you have to meet with them through the course of the week. You have to have a family around you that you know is behind you and that you are behind them. So three foundations for creating and living in community as family. This is the call. This is the call to us this morning. This is the call to you sitting in your seat right now as you pray about neighbors possibly becoming your home church. Three things that will build this. Intention, time, and commitment. Intention, time, and commitment. First of all, intention. To build community that actually lives as a family and, and doesn't just use the words, oh, we're a family, but we never actually know each other. I, ugh. Please, God, no. Please, God, I'm going to, quick little soapbox, right? Here on my soapbox. In the West, uh, I, I am, I'm ready to not have just language of, look, we're a big happy family, but we only see each other on Sundays. It's just, we have to fight that. And as a church plant, we have that opportunity, you guys. But it will take this intention. Because community as family is a discipline. It is a discipline. Which means, if it's a discipline, we have to plan for it and press into it. This has been a growing mark of discipline in my life. You may not know it about me, but uh, on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ, which means I'm an introvert of introverts. I love being by myself. I love being up in the mountains by myself. I love going for a surf by myself. And yet God has put me into leadership in communities of humans. Community for me has become a treasured discipline, but I have to plan for it and I have to press into it. Here's why. Our lives get taken hostage by our busy calendars. Right now, you look at your calendar this week, and every time I talk to either one of you kids or anybody in this room, how you doing? I'm so busy. You have the calendar gun at your head, so to speak, and you're just running on that calendar. That calendar is just taking you wherever it takes you. I know this. I know this all too well. So one of our primary values at Neighbors Church is simplicity, and that includes simplifying our calendars. And the way to do that is to be intentional. If we're going to experience community as family, that community time intentionally has to take priority over everything else. That means if something better, quote unquote, comes up two hours before community night, you're not the one sending the text saying, oh, sorry, I got a bill, I'm not going to make it. It takes priority. It takes that intentional prioritization for these types of relationships to be built. And I know that in our ears right now, in a non-committal society like what we live in, that may seem a little bit extreme, but without that mental shift that my community takes priority over my calendar, then we will not build these levels of relationship. We'll talk all day Sunday morning about family, and then all week long we will long for it and not have it, okay? We also, you guys, and this is so important, and I've seen this so much in the church, and I want to say this carefully and sensitively. We also make the mistake of thinking that community pursues us rather than us pursuing community. The Western church has been established now over the last 50 years as, 
as a consumer good that is presented to the crowd that comes. And we're going to offer you this group, and we're going to offer you this small group, and we're going to offer you this community, and, and there's going to be a small group of singles age 20 to 23 who are studying biology at SDSU, and only they can be in that group, right? It's created this mentality that now I come, and the community is created for me, and I just step into it like going to Disneyland, and everybody's smiling. We all know, if you've been in the church for more than a year, that that's not the way it works. Community is so dang hard. And if you're looking for a community that caters to every one of your needs, I promise you, you're looking for a leprechaun riding on a unicorn at the end of the rainbow, hanging out with Bigfoot. In other words, it does not exist. It does not exist. Therefore, you are an apprentice of Jesus. Obey him by pressing into community. You have to press into the community. You have to decide, much like when you get up in the morning to set your alarm to read your Bible, much like you have to plan to do a three-day fast, you have to plan to press into a community when they become available. It is not the responsibility of other Christians to create our community for us. We have to go for it just like we would go for anything else of value. And what God invites us to at the beginning of a church plant, by the way, nobody in here knows everybody. We're all brand new to this thing. Church plants are a huge opportunity for real growth, real opportunity, because nobody knows anybody. So you have to press through the awkward, the, the early stages of getting to know each other and talking about the things like, well, tell me about your job, tell me about your family, tell me where you grew up, all important things. Before the layers begin to unpeel, tell me about how your job's shaping you right now, tell me about how your family's shaping you, tell me about some of the pain. And you have to push in, and you will find yourself... Often, because I believe Satan is so directly opposed to this feeling like, I just don't feel like I fit here. I don't feel like I fit in this church. I don't feel like I fit in this community. Those are opportunities where the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm inviting you as my apprentice to press into this. And that brings us to this final idea of, of community being intentional. We have to press into humans that we wouldn't normally be with. Family is not based on affinity. Family is not based on affinity. My mom and dad are different ages than me from a different generation. My brothers are different from me. My aunts and uncles in my extended family is way different from me, way different. And if you go to the south where my mom's from, my family down there is way different from me. It's important that we press into communities that have differing ages, singles, marrieds, empty nesters, and different ethnicities. Because this is how we're going to grow together. And honestly, without diversity in the family, we won't grow. This is why when, when, you, when you call family, and there's nothing wrong with college groups, or there's nothing wrong with mom's groups. I love those things. And we're going to have those things at Neighbors. But the meat and potatoes of Neighbors is going to be these families that are intentionally diverse in age, in marriage, prayerfully, please God, in ethnicity. Because when we get into affinity-based groups, we're basically just sitting in an echo chamber where all the dumb ideas that we have are being reflected back to us like they're good ideas. And they're not. I promise you, they're not good ideas. But when you have somebody that's 65 and totally different from you, saying that's a dumb idea, you're like, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. But also that 65-year-old has the opportunity to hear a 22-year-old person say, I think that's a dumb idea. And that 65-year-old has to wrestle with that. I, I, know, I don't want to go over time, but I'm telling you, when you finally experience family and diversity, it changes your life. When I moved to Seattle, my right-hand guy was a guy named Jim Cobb. 
He was 65. He was a Boeing engineer. Glasses, pocket protector, the whole, the whole thing. I had long, flowing, like Samson-like hair and a Stratocaster guitar and a Vox amplifier. And Jim's doing high-level research with lasers at Boeing. And he kind of talks like a calculator, and he has absolutely no emotion, and everything he does is monotone. And I'm like, like a rocket, and then down in the valleys. And we were complete opposite. And my first week in Seattle with him, I was like, this dude's going to hate me. Almost 11 years later, Jim was the one who stuck it out through a church split. Jim was the one who took early retirement to GM our building project. The man gave four years of his life totally for free to lead a building project that was completely upside down. He weathered all of the shenanigans that Taproot Church was in Seattle. He was always by my side. He and his beautiful wife, Janice, who just went to be with Jesus. Total polar opposites, and I consider the man one of my best friends. To this day, Jim's one of those guys that has awkward pauses in conversation. So I'm on the phone with him and his wife died recently. I called him the other day. I was, Jim, how you doing? You there, Jim? Yeah, I was just processing how I wanted to say this. <laughs> he, he's so amazing. And I think that what God wants for you guys is a Jim. Somebody so different from you. Somebody that you're like, I don't align with this person. I would never hang out with this person. I would never call this person friend. But if you're going to be intentional about family, that person becomes your brother, your confidant. Jim became a father to me. He's, I can't wait to see the man's rewards in the kingdom of God. So we want neighbors to be communities of diverse diversity and be intentional about that spreading throughout the city. So intention, number two, if we're actually going to be, and this is a big one, if we're actually going to be communities living as family, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. Relationships take time, period. There's no rushing how relationships form. And if you rush how a relationship forms, it's weird. It's plasticky. We've all been in those situations where everybody's saying, I want to go deep, but you don't even know each other's last names. That's, that's so strange. Family relationships... They are what they are, like I said earlier, because of proximity to each other. You're with each other all the time, and there's lots of time spent together over long periods of time. And this is probably one of the most challenging facets of building Christian community that acts like family in western urban hubs like San Diego, commuter cities like San Diego. It can be done, but it's going to take discipline, and it takes planning, and it takes pressing in, and it takes staying committed. We have some dear friends, again, from Seattle, who they began life back in the 60s. They literally, they were classic hippie Christians, got saved in the, in the Jesus movement. They literally bought plots of land. They had four houses on plots of land out by the river in Kent, Washington. And they raised their families together, living not on a full-on Christian commune, but they, were, they decided to be in community with each other. And over the decades, two of those families stayed together, two of them. One of them is dying from cancer now. Severe stage four cancer. And Steve's going to be with Jesus any day. And at the end of Steve's life, they're moving in with this other couple that they've raised their families with. They've weathered the loss of twins. They've weathered. These, these humans have spent 
time together. And I will say, it's beautiful when you talk to them, but when you talk to Steve and Barb and you talk to Brian and Deb and you hear the stories, it wasn't beautiful. It was gnarly what those people went through. And they stayed together and through time, and though it's rare, it's proof that it can be done. So all of us this morning, we're all brand new to neighbors, and a lot of you, you're here in college, but you're getting ready to start your life. And what I want to challenge us to think about from the very beginning of this is through the lens of long-lasting community. Long-lasting community. That is where true life is. And so even if you're in college and you know that you're going to be graduating from SDSU and you're going to be sent out to the world, I want you to start praying right now, how do I make this vision of long-lasting community How do I make this vision my vision for wherever I land? I would encourage you guys, pray about staying in San Diego. It's a military town. It's a college town. It's a classic millennial urban hub. It's very, very transient. And I want to challenge the church to actually pray, what would it look like for God to provide for me to stay in San Diego so that I can do life with these humans, so that I can be with these humans over a long enough duration of time that I become one with them, they become one with me. I reflect the nature of my God into the world, and I go and cultivate this workmanship that he's made me and the works to do in the world with them. Number three, we'll wrap up with this. It takes intention time, and it takes commitment. For our communities to be families, it's going to require radical commitment. Like any other family, our family units are going to have issues as we grow together. We will fight. We will hurt each other's feelings. We will make mistakes. There's going to be quirks that we don't like. There's going to be times of conflict. And the only thing that weathers that is the commitment of Jesus Christ and the commitment of his people to forgiveness to exhibit family love for one another. And really, this is the way that the New Testament talks about the church. We have to covenant with each other. This is a big word. But when you're praying about neighbor's church, I want you to pray about, like, what does it look like You need to think of this like, okay, marriage. This is how the New Testament talks about it. The New Testament talks about this being a community that that we're going to do our lives with, and we're going to hurt each other, but through thick and thin, through better, for worse, we're going to be with this people maybe until we die. Those families that I just told you about, they are literally now finishing their course, and they're dying together because of their commitment to each other. That's amazing. Now, of course, you guys, God is going to move a lot of us. We're on the campus of a college, a major university. You guys are going to be sent out all around the world. God is going to move us, and of course, our jobs will take us places. But, but for us to really live as family, our mentality needs to be from the very beginning, I want to be with these humans till the day that I die, or God clearly moves me elsewhere. That's a radical notion for the church in the West. That's a brand new way of thinking about the church. Can I, should I, how can I live my life with these other humans in such a way that they're at my deathbed when it all finally goes down? So, let me, let me close. I'm, I'm done. I want to stop talking there. What we're going to do is we have three official groups right now that are ready to rock and roll After communion, those, uh, I forgot to tell you guys, if you guys could all be at the back table, uh, our three group leaders will be at the back table. Because we're small right now, a lot of what we're planning on doing is maybe having other group leaders yoke up. But you guys, right after communion, can go to the back table back here, meet our three community leaders that are already in place. And as we go through the fall, 
or as we go through the, the holiday seasons where a lot of you kids are going to be heading home and we're hopping, hopscotching all over the place through December, we're going to be soft rolling out other groups. When we get to January and we get into the Gospel of John, and we're going to do that series, Come and See, every week it's going to be like, get into a community, get into a community, get into a community, get into a community. Can you guys say that with me? Get into a community. You will, you will want to be in a community because that is where you will find out who you are. As we come to communion this morning, I just want to pray for us. I realize that some of the words I've spoken can, can literally cause people's eyes to twitch. I used words like intention, time, and commitment, which for most of us causes us to freak out. Because why? Because we're scared that there's a better option. I'm telling you there's not. I just want to free you from that lie. I used to believe it. I used to totally believe there's a better option when I'm by myself, if I could just get away from people, if I could just have an extra four days up in the mountains instead of just a quick overnighter, if I could have the beach to myself. <laughs> it's not true. There's something, about, there's something about the option of committing to and saying, my life is these people's lives, and their lives are my lives. As we come to communion this morning, I, I want to challenge you to really pray through that. And a lot of us have hurts. Communion is where we bring our hurts from family and from fractured relationships, and we see the God who died to heal us. Jesus, in the ultimate act of being split from his family, was crucified. And in his crucifixion, he said, my mercy will pour out upon fractured families, upon broken relationships. I will provide the means of forgiveness. So if you have church hurt, family hurt, the cross is where you can bring that, you can bring the bread and the cup to your mouth and you can say, Jesus, you endured the worst of this. So I can commit again. I can be vulnerable again. And at the end of the day, when, we're, when this is all said and done, the healing that comes to us will initiate us begging God for all those kids that are sleeping in in those dorms behind us right now. They need family. They really need family. The city needs family. I pray that our church becomes that. Father, as we prepare to come to communion this morning, I'm asking that you would stir us and incline us. There's no work that I can do. There's no words that I can speak. My words are just just sound waves hitting people's ears. But your word and your power and your spirit, that forms real communities. There's so much church hurt in this room, particularly in, in some of the folks that I know. There's so much church hurt in my life. But I know, God, that you have called me. You have called us to once again, because you were stripped and made vulnerable and hurt and separated from your father, you took the ultimate pain so that we could be safe pressing into community with each other. God, I pray that we wouldn't be idealistic as we approach this topic of family, that we would recognize it is full of blemishes and brokenness and fights and strife and awkwardness. I pray that nobody in this room right now would walk away from this sermon with some leprechaun in their mind that doesn't exist about what community is. It is gnarly, but it's so powerful. And God, as we prepare to take communion, my heart is just broken for the 38,000 students on this campus, for the 8 million people in San Diego. Millions of people this morning have no clue who you are. They are 
swimming in an aquarium of radical autonomy. They're utterly lonely, depressed, anxious. And when they die, they will be separated from you forever. Holy Spirit, would you anoint us to reach the lost and bring them into our family? Adopt sons and daughters through this community, through these humans. And as we commit to each other, God, may the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.